So I told you to turn the book to Ephesians. See, we're, we're talking about togetherness. Uh, the theme of National Baptist Church Sunday is together. Man, that, that God's people would be back together, right? That, that, that would be able to happen. And so what we're doing is we're launching a four-week series today called Together. We want to look at this concept, this idea of being together. It's perfect timing for us as we launch our city groups, our, our, our small groups that allow us to gather together in a living room, in uh, a, a room at the church, at a bowling alley, as you'll discover, allowing God's people to get together. Uh, and so if you've got your Bible, like I said, turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. But as I was thinking about this concept of togetherness, um, I, I thought about these things right here. These are Legos, as you probably know. Now, I am the father of a four-year-old uh, who is turning five on Tuesday. In fact, uh, Judah uh, is, is the VIP of our family today because both my parents and my in-laws are here with us today. Would you welcome them with us? Man, I won't even embarrass them and make them raise their hands. But they came to celebrate Judah's birthday. This is Judah up here, by the way, uh, looking, looking real cheesy and smiling real big. Um, but we got Judah. Go ahead and put that other back up there. This is our big gift to Judah. We got him a 1,500-piece set of Legos. Uh, how many know that makes us awesome parents? Uh, how many know that also makes us in need of a lot of prayer, uh, both for our feet and for our Christianity, right? Uh, so, so be praying for us, be standing in the gap for us, because there's going to be some challenges in the Southern home coming up. But the amazing thing about these little things right here, uh, this has become a billion-dollar industry. This company uh, that developed this, this Danish company that, that came up with this concept has made so much money. The company was founded in the 30s, but they didn't launch Legos until the 50s, but it's become their, their premier product, their defining brand of this Dutch toy company. And the magic of Legos, as you probably know, is in these little dots. I know you can't see them from back there, but you can probably imagine them. These little dots allow you to interlock Legos together. As you can see in this 1500 piece, he's going to get all kinds of colors. He's going to get all kinds of stuff. And if you tell my son what he's getting, I'm coming after you, by the way. All right? It's a secret. He doesn't get it until Tuesday, so don't go out of here and be like, you're getting Legos, I-5, Judah. You're going to hell. Um, Probably not theologically accurate, but just saying. Uh, So... Obviously joking there. Uh, The magic of the Legos is the way that they interlock, the way that they connect, that they are designed for one to stick to another. And I think, as the church, we're designed kind of the same way, right? I, I think that we've been designed where, man, I can sit there by myself. One Lego by itself isn't very impressive, right? But if you start putting some Legos together, if you get 1,500 Legos together or thousands of Legos together, maybe some of you have been to to one of the Lego lands or been to the Memphis Zoo and seen a a crocodile or an elephant made out of Legos. Man, you can do some pretty amazing things if you have the the number of Legos, you have the creativity and the artistic ability, uh, and you have the time, right? You, You can build some incredible things out of Legos, and I think God's people are the same way. One of us by ourselves really isn't very impressive. I certainly am not. 
But when you can combine God's people together, when you can start connecting them around a plan, around a design, around a vision, something incredible can happen. And that's what we get to talk about over the next few weeks. God has designed for us to be built up together. As we celebrate Back to Church Sunday, I want to show you this in Scripture. First, I want to tell you kind of where we're going over the next four weeks, because we don't just want you to come and hang out with us today. We want to invite you back over the next three Sundays to hear what God's Word has to say about being together. So today, we're going to talk about how together we find peace. Together we find peace. Next Sunday, we're going to discover how together we experience love. September 29th, we'll talk about how together we grow stronger, and then we'll finish up the series the first Sunday of October, seeing how together we can change the world. That there's power when we come together. There's this guy who wrote a lot of letters in the New Testament. We actually just got done studying one called the book of Galatians, but his name is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul wrote another letter that we actually studied last summer called the book of Ephesians. That's where I asked you to turn this morning. The interesting thing about the book of Ephesians is Paul wrote it while he was in prison in a city called Rome. And he wrote this letter to a group of of believers in what is today modern-day Turkey in a very influential city. Ephesus, in fact, at one time was the largest city in the Greek Empire. Uh, It was the the home of the... the, Temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a very important city. It was multicultural. People from all over the Mediterranean would come there. It was a port uh, and a hub, and it was a very significant city. And as the people who received this letter, as you probably already know, because the letter was written 2,000 years ago, they did not have the technology that we have today, right? They didn't have iPhones. They didn't have internet. They didn't have TV or even radio. We think of radio as kind of outdated technology, right? But it's really not been around that long when we look at world history. Uh, So these people, we remind you of this obvious fact because for these people, it's easy for us to forget the context that they would receive this letter in. Uh, And like all of the early church in these letters, what would happen is you would not have the, the letter on your phone, right? You wouldn't have it even in a book, What would happen is they would write the letter to the church, and the church would gather, and the church would read the letter out loud together. They would read all six chapters. The chapters didn't exist at the beginning. We put those in after the fact to make stuff easy to find. But it was just one letter in these six chapters, and they would read this letter out loud together, and what would happen is the church would process the letter together. They'd hear what Paul had to say, what God was saying through this author, and they would discuss it. They'd chew on it. They'd apply it. They'd, man, they'd shout. They'd get excited about a section, or maybe they'd get disturbed by a section. Man, I didn't realize that. Or maybe they'd see the way that things were off, but they would do all of these things together. And so the early church had what I believe is a massive advantage on us. See, the advantage we have is, man, we can take this thing home with us, right? That's a great advantage, man. I can have a personal time with God. That's a fantastic, amazing advantage. But the disadvantage in that is if I'm not careful, I can become isolated and try to do this thing all by 
myself, which was never God's intent. In fact, I want to show you in Ephesians chapter 2 what God's intent actually was. We're going to start in verse 17 and read through 22 uh, together. This is our primary text today. It says that Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Now, now when he says those who were far away, he's talking about those of us who were not Jewish, uh, that the original Old Testament, man, God was for the Jews. He was the, the, the Jews were his chosen people. And that, man, if you weren't a Jew, you were far away, which includes me, right? Includes most of us. We were far away. So Jesus came and he preached. What did he preach? What's it say? He preached peace to those who were far away, which is me and most of us, and to those who were near. So he preached peace to all of us. In other words, that we were going to be united that we were going to be together, that these divisions were going to fall. These walls that had been erected were going to be destroyed. He says, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. You have access to Father God because of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. If you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus, you have that that, that access. So he says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but now you are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together. Everybody say built together. We are being built together what? To become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, one mistake that we can make in church, and I don't mean to be too critical of other places because I understand how we got here, but, but one thing that people will often say is they'll call this room where we gather in, we'll call it a sanctuary. Uh, because you see, in, in the Old Testament, the sanctuary was the room in the temple where God's presence dwelt. And so the, the idea is that God lives here at the church. But the reality in the New Testament is God doesn't live here. There's nothing magical or supernatural about this room. I think God moves here. I think God shows up here. In fact, when God's people gather, there's an intensification of God's presence. But that's not because of the room. That's because of the people. You see what I'm getting at? You see, this room is not the sanctuary of God's presence. You are the sanctuary of God's presence if you are a believer, if the Holy Spirit resides in you. So what happens is, is Paul says, we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This these bricks, man, we're so grateful for this building. This building's been an amazing blessing to us. I could tell you so many stories about what God did to provide this building for us. But this building is not where God lives. You are where God lives. You are the one that he resides in. So the first thing I want you to write down today is, is very quickly this, is that we find peace in unity. That when we're joined together, man, when we're created as the spaceship or whatever the specific Lego thing you want to envision. My favorite Legos when I was a kid were were castle Legos. Uh, It was like a whole thing, man. You had knights and you had swords and I don't know. I just thought that was awesome. I loved building castles and and playing with those Legos. But, But whatever you want to envision, man, he says that we are being built together. You know what that says to me? It says we got to be careful not to try to become built separate. That doesn't mean that personal time with God isn't important. Don't misunderstand me. Personal time with God is very important. 
But, but he's called us to togetherness. That that stuff that I'm getting on my own when I go to God by myself, that it's not just for me, it's for us. And that's not just because I'm the pastor and I'm the person with the, the, the task of standing on this stage and delivering a message every Sunday. It's because I'm a believer in Jesus. And so my job is to share what God gives me. Have you ever found yourself or found somebody that you know searching for a place to belong? One thing that I noticed today as we were putting together our city group menus, which are on your seat, is I thought it was so interesting. We've got six city groups, and like half of those city group leaders have different area codes as their, as their phone number. Uh, we are a melting pot of a church. There's so many people in our church who have not come from here. They've come from elsewhere. Uh, and, and I think that's really interesting. I think it's really, really awesome to me because, you see, when you move somewhere, you can kind of get out of sorts, can't you? Man, when, when you're from somewhere, when you've grown up there, man, you kind of already have your family in place. You kind of already have your crew in place. But when you move to a new place, it's really easy to feel like, man, I don't know where I fit anymore. I don't know where I belong. And you see, what God's word is teaching us is that we find our belonging in the church, that this is the thing that God has designed for us to have, that this is the place where we are rooted in the resurrection of Jesus and we find unity in Christ. So Paul gives a short introduction in the book of Ephesians, and then he, he splits his letter into two parts. The first part is basically a declaration of the gospel, who Jesus is. We're, we're in that in Ephesians 2. And the second part is, is a practical application. Because of what Jesus did, what are we supposed to do with it? How are we supposed to live differently? And all of this is based on, on one central theme, the theme of grace. If you've been a believer for very long, you've probably heard this passage in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, just a few verses before where we were just a moment ago. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You see, we find our unity in grace. You've heard it said probably before that we're all equal at the foot of the cross, right? That none of us can come to Jesus on our own goodness. All of us come to Jesus with baggage. All of us come to Jesus with sin. All of us come to Jesus messed up. None of us can make ourselves right on our own. It's only by grace that we're made right with him. And so because of that, we don't get to rank ourselves anymore, I don't get to look at my righteousness and say, hey, I'm more righteous than you are. I'm, I'm more deserving of God's love than you are. I'm more important. I have a greater place. I get the first pick at the donut wall, right? Like those things are no longer significant in Christ because we all come on our knee. We all come humbled and lowered, and it puts us all on the same page, on the same plane, and so in Christ, we find unity because it doesn't matter if we came from privilege or we came from none. It doesn't matter if we came from money or we came from none. It doesn't matter if we have a doctorate or we dropped out of high school. Every one of us is equal at the foot of the cross, right? It doesn't matter where we're from. It doesn't matter our skin color. It doesn't matter our language. None of those things that used to divide people divide people in the church because we're united around the grace of Jesus Christ. We're unified. And so what happens in unity? Unity brings peace. See, when I'm trying to compete, when, when I'm trying to, to, to prove that I'm better than somebody else, there's, there's some stress in that. 
there's some pressure in that, right? That, that I'm striving for that, and I want to look good, and I want to be better, and, and all those things. And when we're all in the same place, when we're all equal, all that pressure is gone. Because we're filled with the peace of God. We find peace and unity. In Ephesians 2.14, Paul clarifies some things. He says, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. When he says he himself is our peace, he means Jesus. Now, so Jesus is our peace, and what's he done? He's made the two one. One Lego and another Lego, right? Brings them together. They connect. They hold together. What's he talking about? He's talking about literally Jews and Gentiles. But I think we can insert a lot of different things there. We could, we could insert Baptists and Pentecostals, right? What's he done? He's made the two one. We, we can insert blacks and whites, right? We can insert Hispanics and Asians. We can, we can insert male and female. We can insert young and old. We could just insert traditional church and contemporary church, right? All this nonsensical divisions that we raise up where we try to think we're better than somebody else. He says, no, he's pierced and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. If we think we're better than somebody else in Christ, we missed it. We've missed it. He's brought us peace in unity, by coming to save the world, all the people of the world, Jesus broke down the deepest divisions of eternity between God and man. And Paul makes it clear that we find peace in unity. The second face we, place we find peace, we just saw it, is number two, we find peace in God's presence. Number one, we find peace in unity together. Secondly, we find peace in the presence of God. What did it just say? It said that Jesus is our peace. He's our peace, right? And in the midst of a world where every other week we wake up to, to a story of another mass shooting, where, where lives have been ripped away, innocent people have been destroyed, right? There's not a lot of peace in those stories. My heart breaks when I hear those things. And in the midst of a world where, where there's war and sickness and disease and outbreaks and Democrats and Republicans and, and so much drama and stress and stuff, the promise of God is that Jesus is our peace. One of my favorite promises of Scripture, one of the things that I pray probably almost as much for, for our people as, as anything else is this, that, that God gives us peace that passes understanding. I, I always modernize that when, when I pray and say, man, it's peace that doesn't make sense, right? That in the midst of a, of a situation that from the outside looks like it should be completely destructive, from the outside looks like, I don't know how I would ever get through this. I don't know how I could ever handle it. The promise is that because Jesus is my peace, even when there's suffering, even when there's sickness, even when there's death, even when there's disease, even when there's betrayal, even when there's gossip, even when I get stabbed in the back, even when a relationship I thought I could count on forever fades away, the promise is peace that doesn't even make sense why because he is my peace and he ain't going anywhere 
He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, right? So even on my bad days, he's still my peace. Even on my good days, he's my peace, right? Like when, when I've got it together and when I don't, he's my peace. Why? Because he promises he's never going to leave. His presence is with me always, and we find peace in the presence of God. Peace in his presence. What does this mean? It means together we can follow the way of peace, that, that we can have peace. I don't know what pain you may have brought today. Maybe it's your first time back to church in a very long time, and you've got some pain from, from, from the way that you were treated at a church or, 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 or some pain from the way that you left a church, and maybe you've got some shame. You know, you did, you did something wrong. You know, you didn't handle it well. I don't know what that is, but I know this. Number one, God loves you. Number two, he's got a plan for you. Number three, part of that plan is for you to have a church family. There's just no other way to sugarcoat it. If you're a Christian, he wants you to be in unity. See, this little red Lego is pretty insignificant. You can't even see it. It's so insignificant, right? I should have picked a bigger piece. Uh, all right, this, this shield, how about this? You can see this. It doesn't do much by itself, right? But when you put it in the right place, all of a sudden it makes sense. Maybe your life hasn't made a lot of sense because you haven't been in the right place. And God's designed for us to be in a place. And I'm not saying it's city church. Man, we got a ton of great churches. Maybe this isn't the one for you. Maybe our music's too loud for you or our people are too young for you or our, or our pastor doesn't wear a, nice, a suit. And man, I can't, man, we don't preach from the King James. I don't know. Man, if those things are important to you, let's find you a church that, that rolls the way that you roll, where you can grow, where you can thrive. But you need a church. You need a place where you can belong. And we'd be honored if we decided, hey, I'd give this one a shot. Man, we'd be thrilled to have you, but we belong together. We find peace together in Jesus Christ. In John chapter 14, verse 26 and 27, Jesus promises this. He says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. He says this. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And just as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit is with us continually. And he is our source of peace. The Holy Spirit living in us is where we find peace. Peace. In fact, we saw just a few weeks ago in our study of Galatians chapter 5, right, that the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which is the evidence that God's at work in our life, it's not a to-do list. It's not, hey, I need to be loving, and I need to be joyful, and I need to be kind, and I need to be gentle. It's not that to-do list. It's, it's the evidence that God, we've given him room to work and operate in our life. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is peace. What is that? It's the evidence of God's presence. That I can walk in peace. Doesn't mean I'm not going to have a bad day. Doesn't mean I'm not going to think about saying something bad when I step on that Lego in the middle of the night. I'm on the way to the bathroom. Right? Like, this doesn't mean things aren't going, are always going to be perfect. But it means that his presence is there. And when his presence is there, there is peace. We have access to peace. So we come together to live, we come together to worship, we come together to study God's word, to be made better. We gather in city groups, as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, 
so, so that we're not just gathering in a big room where we're all facing in one direction. And you know what? You can actually kind of stay anonymous in this room. And sometimes that's comfortable when we first come to church, right? Like sometimes we don't want everybody to know us and to know our name and to like know our stuff. Like we like the anonymity. But the reality is God didn't design for you to be anonymous forever. God designed for you to be known. For people to know you on an intimate level where they know your strengths. They know your gifts. They know your calling. But they also know your weaknesses. They know your struggles. They know your pain and your shame. And it's in that togetherness where we are known that the greatest impact can ever be made in our life. And so I love Sunday mornings at City Church. I was telling my daughter last night, man, as I was praying with her, and said, man, we're going to church tomorrow. I said, you know, she's, I said, you know Sunday's daddy's favorite day of the week, right? So I love Sundays. And she said, yeah, I love Sundays too, dad, right? And she doesn't know any better. She's just going off of what I said. Normally she's contrarian, though, and goes against what I said. So it was a nice moment for us. Uh, I love, 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 love everything about this. But the greatest growth you'll ever make is not going to be in this room on Sunday morning. It's not. It's going to be in relationship. It's going to be in connection. It's going to be, man, in, in, in a room with eight or ten people or twelve people. It's going to be in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. It's going to be in that, that place where you're known and you're able to speak into each other's life. Able to share your struggles, your hurts, your pains. That's where the greatest impact that God has for you is going to happen. This thing's important. Don't get me wrong. But this thing's important because it's a launch pad to that. It, it, it's, it's a place for us to gather and celebrate together all of those little things that are going on through the week. Man, that, the, all that impact that he's making in all of our lives through each other. We get to come in on Sunday morning and worship together and celebrate together God's goodness and what he's up to. But he's designed for us to have that relationship. He's designed for us to be known. He's designed for, as the word says, for iron to sharpen iron. Iron doesn't sharpen iron from a distance, right? It doesn't sharpen iron through a one point in the service where you have to shake hands with three people and you hope you don't get a sickness, right? Like, that, that's not iron sharpening iron. How does iron sharpen iron? It gets pretty close. There's some friction, Right? Like you got to be close enough where you're up in each other's business. And that's scary. That's almost un-American. Right? I can do this on my own. I'm independent. But it's biblical. It's what God's designed for us. It's what he's ordained for us. It might be a little uncomfortable, but it's the place you're going to find the greatest peace. We find peace in unity. We find peace in God's presence. And oh, by the way, God's presence intensifies when his people get together. Right? You get greater peace when, when God, you get greater presence. And there's an intensification of his presence. He promises there's, that his presence shows up when we worship. He promises that his presence shows up when we gather. So that's where we find peace. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I thank you so much for the honor of opening your word and speaking into the lives of your people. God, we thank you for peace, that you are a God of peace. You are a God who, who is designed for your people to have peace. God, not peace that means nothing is wrong, but peace that is, that's rooted even in the midst of circumstances and scenarios that are, that are scary, that are painful, that are difficult. God, you've ordained for us to have peace. And so, God, we ask today that you would help us to access that. God, we ask for unity.
Lord, that, that just as those Legos are, are connected together, that we would be people of connection, people of unity, God, that would hold on to each other when times get difficult rather than trying to separate and isolate. God, we ask that, that, that we would be the bearers of your presence just as you've ordained for us to be, God. We thank you that your Holy Spirit lives in us as believers. And God, we pray if there's anybody here today who's not a believer, we ask that that you would allow them to access your spirit. God, that you would allow them to receive salvation, that they would know they need you. God, that they would know they need to repent and turn from their old ways because it's it's not working so they can give their life to you and discover the joy and the peace that only comes through relationship with you. God, we thank you for all this. In the name of Jesus.